Welcome back to another episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast. I'm your host, Alex Francisco, here with Dakota Randall and Adam London. Boys, how are we? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Uh, busy week of Celtics basketball. I believe they played five games. Uh, that's way more than I thought it was looking back on it. Um, after a tough first week for the Celtics, they had a better week this week. Still some inconsistencies that we'll get into. Uh, but yeah, you know, a lot to talk about. Hope everybody had a safe and happy new year. Um, and uh, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, hopefully it's new year and new Celtics in a sense that we don't really see all these inconsistencies. So yeah, let's jump into it. Yeah, so um, Celtics go four and one. Wins against Indiana, Memphis without John Morant. They split a two-game series with Detroit before defeating Toronto on Monday. Tonight, they finish off this road trip against Miami. And like just saying that out loud, that they won four of their last five, makes looking back on this stretch feel a lot better than it did in the moment going game by game, I guess. I don't know. But what are our positives looking back on this week, Adam? Uh, I think for me, it was just back-to-back games where Tatum showed a huge leap in leadership. Uh, in the ga- uh, second game of the back-to-back against the Pistons, he hit that game winner. And one thing I griped about on the last episode was that in clutch situations, it's almost always that Tatum, uh, Tatum stepped back from three. Instead, he drove and took an elbow jumper, nailed it. And then the next possession, he blocked uh, Blake Griffin's game-winning shot attempt. And then the next game in the Raptors that uh, they won, he gave that fiery speech in the huddle and they uh, you know, came back and won. So just back-to-back games where he showed that he's you know, made big strides as a leader. Yeah, and you know, for me, um, I'm kind of going, not, not sticking totally on the Celtics here, but I think maybe the East is more wide open than we initially thought. I know in our initial uh, preview episode, I said, I think the Celtics have a better, a better chance this season than a lot of people do, but uh, I didn't have a ton of confidence in that take. I might have more in it now because, and again, the season's early, so who knows what's going to go on. Uh, but I think maybe the Nets aren't as awesome as we initially thought. I mean, at the very beginning of the season, everybody looked at them and said, you know, wow, that's the best team in the East. Celtics certainly can't compete with them. Uh, but since then, they've come back down to earth. They're four and four. There's been a little talk of some disconnect over there. Um, I think it was, I don't know if it was the last game or the game before, but I guess I guess Steve Nash doesn't like calling timeouts. He kind of lets the Nets sort of play through their struggles, kind of like what Brad Stevens does. But I guess Kyrie Irving was taking matters into his own hands and calling timeouts. There was talk that maybe that was creating friction. Kyrie denied it. But either way, we're starting to see some things crop up. Uh, and the Bucs, I've always thought the Bucs are beatable. I think they look beatable again this season, even though, again, it's early. I've never been a big believer in the 76ers. So I think if this, you know, one positive to take away here, you know, again, only through the first couple of weeks of the season, I think it's maybe the East is more competitive and wide open than we initially thought. And that's only good news for the Celtics, who certainly aren't a powerhouse. They might just be a very good team. But if the East, again, is more even across the board, that's only good for them. Also, um, especially when you have the Jays kind of just rotating nights where they're just going to go ahead and drop 40. Um, I guess that's my biggest positive takeaway. We had Jalen score a career high 42 points against the Grizzlies. Uh, Tatum close to a career high a few days later, 40 on the Raptors. Um, I mean, I feel like we say this all the time, but it's reassuring to see them continuing to grow together and not against each other really complimenting each other's games and I mean only a few games in still but 
um, that at least has been consistent that when one of them is hot, the other knows when to really take that back seat and let the other go off. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, again, I, I think, uh, one of the most that it, it, just sticking strictly on the Celtics, I think the most encouraging thing right now has to be that it looks like once again, uh, especially in the case of Jalen Brown, we'll get into him a little in a little bit, uh, that he's taken another step forward and Jason Tatum just continues to cement himself as one of the NBA stars and, uh, Celtics fans have every reason to be very encouraged by that. Yeah, it looks like we're not going to have to worry about, you know, any sense of an identity crisis of like whose team is it? Because like Alex said, they both have a great sense of, you know, who's got the hot hand. And sometimes it's not even one of them. If, you know, if someone else is rolling, they're both willing to dish it off. So that's definitely a good sign moving forward. Yeah. And one more point on that. Uh, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people when Gordon Hayward left, they sort of hypothesized that, listen, maybe Gordon Hayward leaving. Uh, is kind of what Jalen Brown needed to sort of find his more natural role within the offense and take on a more, you know, again, a more, more assertive role uh, and just kind of find his way and what he's supposed to do with his team. And early on, it looks like that. It looks like he's been waiting and ready to take on that increased role and be more of a, you know, a, a 1A versus a B option or a C option. And uh, I think, you know, he's kind of freed up from that awkward situation. I always thought Hayward, Brown, and Tatum fit awkwardly on the court together. I know other people disagree, uh, but I think just the absence of Hayward, while we can argue whether or not it ultimately hurts the Celtics, I think it ultimately helps Jalen Brown individually. Uh, I know I was super frustrated at a lot of times watching them play over this last stretch. What were some of the negatives you guys took out of this week? Uh, for me, and this could probably veer a little into the, you know, overreaction category, but I didn't think it was very encouraging that in the loss to the Pistons, uh, Tristan Thompson got absolutely smoked by Mason Plumley. Uh, Plumley had eight points, 17 rebounds. Uh, Thompson had five and nine, and that was a game that Blake Griffin didn't even play. And when you're thinking about, uh, you know, how stacked the East is with some, you know, dominant big men like, you know, Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, even throw maybe Miles Turner in there. It's not a good sign that Thompson's getting outworked by a guy like Mason Plumley, who's kind of just like a journeyman. So um, just can't have, can't afford to have nights like that where you're not taking advantage of mismatches. Yeah. And for me, listen, I was excited, uh, when Carson Edwards was drafted by the Celtics, um, you know, I was, I was kind of covering it with a few other people at the Aubrey center. And I was saying, that's a player that I wanted the Celtics to get. Cause he was so awesome during the national tournament. He was a blast to watch. And I always had hope that maybe he would find it and he still might, but I'm kind of ready to say that Carson Edwards stinks. Like I, I just, and maybe he doesn't stink. That might be too harsh, but I think a player like him that's so reliant on his shot and, and especially reliant on finding these hot stretches where he just pops off and hits like, you know, four threes in a few minutes and just goes crazy. You got to find playing time to do that. In order to find playing time, you got it's someone of his size that's not going to bring it on the defensive end of the floor. You got to score. And I think he sits too long. His hands get too cold. He doesn't have a, a consistent role. And it's hard for him to find a rhythm. It's hard for anybody to come off the bench like that and score at the clip that he needs to to stay in there. And I think it's just had a residual effect. It looks like he's lost confidence. He doesn't really know what to do when he's out there. And uh, I just... You know, Peyton Pritchard obviously has surpassed him. We'll talk about Pritchard in a little bit. Uh, I just, you know, I think the Carson Edwards show is over. Uh, I think we can pretty much definitively say that now. 
and I don't see it getting any better. Any better. I just don't think he really has a future with the team. Unfortunately, because he seems like a nice guy. He's a fun player to watch when he's going well, but I don't see it. Yeah, not to be Captain Obvious here, but this is a time where you really see the downgrade of the Red Claws not playing. You know, because this is a time where you could have Carson down there at least getting some shots up in actual game settings. And now, like you said, he's just kind of idling away on the bench and he's serving no purpose at all. Yeah, 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 I agree. And I feel bad for him because I think if he was on, you know, a bad team where he could really get a shot and get a lot of run, he probably could find a shot and he probably, you know, could gain some confidence. It's not like it's it's unprecedented for small players uh, to do well. Obviously, we saw one here in Isaiah Thomas. I just think it's not going to happen here. Hmm. And he's getting worse by the day as he kind of, you know, continues playing out the string in this role. And I just, you know, something's got to give here. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate to see the trickle down effect of COVID and how it's had on like, even just these kids would have had a training camp too, right? Like a real training camp and preseason out in Vegas. So um, it is like, okay, how much more patient should we be with like a guy like Carson Edwards? Yes. But then like you saw, I mean, how demoralizing the other night when the end of the bench is in playing in garbage time and Tatum and Brown need to go back in the game because they're right. blowing like what a 25 point lead. Um, right. It's true. And again, it goes back to the point where if he's not going to bring it on defense, he's too small. So he's got to score. And, you know, and if he's not scoring, you have to take him out of the game because he's a liability on defense, unfortunately. For as big as his thighs and his calves are, I know weird Celtic Twitter loves Carson Edwards' legs. Uh, and they are cool. I guess, but they don't, they don't help him on the defensive end. He's just, <laughs> he doesn't have enough. Well, <laughs> thing on Edwards before I move on, and this is just, he does kind of seem like he fits that mold of a guy who's going to move on from the Celtics. And then like next year with who knows who like post like 25 points on like five or five from three. And people are going to, you know, be like, Oh, I know they gave up on too early. It's just like, no, it's just like you said, there's just no fit for him here anymore. Right. Yep. Definitely. Well, Dakota, you started alluding to his defensive fit. And I mean, that's my biggest, I think, negative from this week was just seeing them just defensively not meet expectations that are kind of like they're the Celtics, right? Like that's kind of their bread and butter. And supposed to be. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's just like games like Detroit the other night, the second Detroit game when. I'm doing like my notebook and seeing like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart had accounted for all of these turnovers. Um, None of them recorded a block or a steal, just like weird stuff. I know they're both taking on um, different roles, certainly this season. Um, Brown's been a lot more active with the offense and Smart's been a lot more active and kind of running point and facilitating and keeping these guys like organized right but um those two guys I think it's interesting to see like a game like that where it it ends up being that close to Detroit and you look at their defensive stats so um and I think they've kind of um caused some of the blame to get put on that double big lineup that Brad Stevens has been starting at games and starting in the third quarter. So, I mean, that's a good transition into our segment, like overreaction of the week. I guess mine would be that 
that double big start like rotation sucks um <laughs> they haven't started with any energy really and um like I said in that particular Detroit game when you look at the stats like a, not a great start for them but when Jalen Brown has all these turnovers granted he was fantastic on offense that night and smart was a great facilitator that night too but I mean it's kind of they're they're trying to find that balance right and I don't know oh, the defense has left a lot to be desired but I think it's an overreaction that the double big starting rotation sucks I think you need to you need that rotation still at times in the game and um maybe not there I think they're they definitely need a jolt of energy somewhere but um I think that we should still feel it out a little while yeah I think on that, um, I think one of the reasons people think the double big rotation sucks right now is because Daniel, Daniel Tice isn't playing very well, um, at least not up to the standard that I think he set for himself last year, where I think he proved himself to be a, a good center in the NBA, maybe a little bit better than that. Um, but this year, and again, seven games in, but his numbers are down, points down from 9.2 per game to 6.4, uh, rebounds down a couple, assists down a couple, block, steals, blocks, all of it, uh, three-point percentage. He finished last season at 33%. Right now he's at 18. Uh, again, obviously it's early, but he hasn't been making, he hasn't been nearly uh, as, as uh, successful from beyond the arc as he was last year. So I think, you know, if he's not playing well, it, it, it kind of makes it tough to do the double big lineup because he's not really stretching the floor. And we're seeing a lot of teams sort of daring him to shoot threes uh, and he's got to start making them. And if he's not, then you got to sort of pick one or the other, I think. Uh, but if both him and Tristan Thompson play as well as they can, uh, I think the double big lineup is viable in my opinion. Yeah, I think mine is, and I'll preface this by saying, I think Peyton Pritchard is a good basketball player. I think he definitely serves a purpose on this team, but after the game against the Raptors, I saw, you know, some people mentioning him in the offense or the rookie of the year conversation. It's like, I think we should pump the brakes on that. I mean, that, that game against the Raptors was the first game he scored more than 13 points. I mean, in a, like we'll talk about it more in a little bit, but his role easily could decrease when Kemba comes back. So again, I think he's going to be a solid, you know, off the bench guy, but I, I think he's going to fizzle out of this, you know, rookie of the year buzz pretty quickly. Yeah, probably. I would agree with that. But, uh, and yeah, we'll talk about him in a little bit. And, and similar to my overreaction of the week, uh, we'll kind of go into it a little bit more in depth in a, in a minute, but uh, I'm, I'm sort of starting to entertain the idea that Jalen Brown is better than Jason Tatum. Uh, I saw, I've seen that take crop up a little bit this week and it's definitely an overreaction. Uh, and the fact that I'm entertaining it and kind of thinking it is, could be true also is an overreaction, but more than anything, it just speaks to how good Jason Brown or not Jason Brown, uh, Jalen Brown has been. Um, but that definitely is, is a big overreaction as well as one that I think could pick up steam uh, if Jalen Brown continues uh, to ascend in the way that he has. Okay, so I'm gonna address both of um, your comments. I, I think that Jalen Brown definitely is not going to be better than Jason Tatum for starters. That's a, that's a really funny overreaction because like, I don't know, even where games where Jalen was really having a good night. Again, I keep going back to that second Detroit game, but Tatum kind of shot pretty spotty the entire game until he had to really pick it up at the end. But like he had a game 
I think a career high in assists that night. He finished with like 12 and then leading to him having the game winner. Um, so yeah, I think it goes back to like, is there even like a ceiling for either of them? I don't know. Like together, I feel like there's no one without the other. So I hate to even have the conversation of like comparing their ceilings, but. Well, um, I mean, oops, sorry, continue. Um, no, say whatever you're going to say. Cause I was going no, to say, we were, we, we were going to do this topic at the end of the show, but we might as well just get into it now while we're talking about it. Um, listen, like if, if both players reach their ceilings, I think Jason Tatum absolutely is the better player. Uh, you know, the fact that he now supposedly is 6'10 or 6'11. I mean, now we're talking about Kevin Durant type of stuff. I don't think he's going to be as good as Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant is, uh, I think, on a different level. Uh, but he definitely is on track to be a Paul George type. I think that's sort of always been a ceiling that people have uh, given Jason Tatum. Though I think there are, there are some better comps. Um, so, But I think, for me, the reason I start to think about you know, could Jalen Brown be better uh, is if you just take potential and you take ceiling and all that stuff out of it, which player you have more confidence in becoming the actual better player over their, over the totality of their career. And I think, I I think it ultimately will be Jason Tatum, but I also could see a scenario that happens in which Jason Tatum sort of devolves into this James Harden type of player where he really just is sort of all scoring um, high volume, and I, I think the fact that he's a great defensive player ultimately will prevent him from being the sort of one-dimensional kind of guy like James Harden. But I just, I, I, I almost have, because of Jalen Brown's athleticism uh, and I think his aggressiveness, I almost, I, I could see him having, being a more successful player over a longer period of time and just making a greater impact on his team. Whereas I could see Jalen, Jason Tatum sort of becoming a, you know, a high scoring player for hire that sort of moves around the NBA at different points in his career. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I just, I'm saying I could see that scenario developing. Um, and I think part of it is I like Jalen Brown's game more. I like the way he plays. I like his aggressiveness. Uh, I'm a sucker for mid-range jump shots. Uh, I like that he's done that. Adam and I talked about this before. Kind of reminds me of Dwayne Wade. Um, maybe a little Scotty Pippen. I could see in both of them. Uh, so I, again, I don't think Jalen Brown is the better player. I don't think he's going to be the better player. I'm just saying, I think I, I could see it happening. If you, if in 15 years, that ends up being the case, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I agree too that Tatum, when all said and done, will be the better player. But just playing devil's advocate for Brown, if we're looping everything in, um, it kind of seems like he, Brown is much more of a natural born leader than Tatum is. It's, it seems like leadership is something Tatum has definitely worked on, but it comes pretty easily to Brown. I mean, we've been seeing it you know, since like his younger years when he still had vets on those teams. And the one thing I wish um, Tatum would stop doing that Brown kind of does now is that when Tatum's slumping, he just kind of tries to shoot out of it, which, you know, you can be fine with because that's what you want your elite scorers to do. But Brown, sometimes when he's in those funks, he'll just put his head down and just drive for the rim. And Tatum's capable of doing that with just how big and long he is. So if, I think if, you know, Tatum expands this game more because sometimes he does get a little three-point happy. Um, like we said, I think you're like getting close to like Durant level of being unstoppable because I mean Durant still does those mid-ranges all the time. And yeah, if, that's game, really. If, if Tatum truly is, I mean, you saw that last shot against the Pistons. Like he has that in his bag. He just doesn't do it a lot of the time. So yeah, I mean, because 
sometimes defenses can uh, prepare for that now where they know he's going to settle for that three. If he pulls up from 18 and you just, you know, the variety, you know, sky's the limit. Yeah, I think Jason Tatum is a player who, when things aren't going well, he can sort of feed into that. Like when things are going bad down the stretch for the Celtics, when they sort of start collapsing and playing ugly basketball in these clutch situations, which has become all too common over the past couple of years, I think Tatum's game plays into it. The step backs, uh, the reluctance to drive to the hole, the complaining to the officials. He gets really turnover happy because he, you know, he tries to go in isolation. He tries to cross everybody up. He'll dribble it off of his foot. He'll turn it over. He'll make a bad pass. And I just don't see Jalen Brown do that kind of stuff as often. Um, that doesn't mean Jason Tatum won't eventually get that stuff out of his game. He very well could. He keeps getting better. But I just think Jalen Brown is the kind of player who, when things are going bad, I like the way his game translates to getting out of those funks and helping the team sort of, you know, course correct during games. Because, again, his, the way he – his aggressive style uh, and just the general way he plays. So, yeah, again, I, I agree with Alex, though. I think it ultimately is unfair to compare the two because they're both great players and the Celtics are lucky to have both of them. Well, I think that we're going to be having this conversation regardless for a long time because they're locked up here for a while. So we'll pick it up whenever it arises next time. But I did want to go back to what Adam was saying about um, just the hype around Peyton Pritchard and how just the mystique over this rookie. I mean, it should be noted, like he is 22 years old. He stayed in college. So it's not like he's this like wonder boy wide-eyed 19 18 year old kid or whatever so um but his numbers have been really fun so far and I mean we were talking about how people were talking about he's in the conversation for rookie of the year here early and was it you Dakota I think that did write about that and looking at his numbers yeah yeah and I wrote a story on us in this week um you'll find it if you want to um I just sort of was looking at you know, it, it is, could you possibly make a case uh, through seven games for Peyton Pritchard being NBA rookie of the year? Um, like ultimately, you know, I don't think you'll have the chance to beat out somebody like LaMelo ball, for instance. And there are some other guys um, right now that I, I think he's got an uphill battle and, and, and knocking off. Um, but you know, the numbers don't lie. I, I think he's off to an awesome start and just real quick, uh, you know, I'll throw some, some conventional stats and some advanced stats at you. But just in terms of uh, where Peyton Pritchard ranks among NBA rookies, in total minutes, he's first. In total points, he's fourth with 69. Uh, this was through Tuesday, so this does not include uh, whatever happens in the Heat game. Uh, in total assists, he's tied for second. In total steals, he is second. Uh, and then if you go over to the advanced stats, again, have the argument about advanced analytics on your own time. But in true, in true shooting percentage, he's 65%. That's good for fourth among NBA rookies. Assist ratio, sixth. Player efficiency rating, seventh. Uh, and then I think what helps him the most here, value added, he's fourth. And estimated wins added, you know, the NBA's version of war, essentially, uh, he's fourth. Again, those aren't top three, uh, but he's essentially been a top five rookie this season, no matter which way you slice it. Uh, and he's playing a big role on the Celtics. Uh, and he's playing surprisingly good defense, which I think has really, you know, helped Brad Stevens have confidence in him. And, uh, Listen, we'll see how the season progresses. Maybe one of the top contenders uh, has an injury. You never know. Um, maybe their teams are so bad that it's hard to consider them. We'll see how this thing goes. But I don't think it's a joke. I don't think you just say Peyton Pritchard, rookie of the year candidate, and laugh about it at this point. Uh, he's playing himself into that kind of conversation. I think one thing I'd want to 
asked Danny Ainge is like if the Celtics drafted Peyton Pritchard almost like specifically for this season, it's like Alex mentioned, he was a four-year starter, played in some, you know, high leverage games at Oregon. And obviously you didn't have a training camp this year or you did, but very like two preseason games, not much time to turn around. So you got to think knowing that Kemba was going to be out, they brought on this guy that, you know, has a lot of like more basketball years on him than the, the rest of the guys in the draft and a guy that can play right away. And he really has. So, I mean, it should be interesting to see what his role is going forward, but I think the pick is paid off and then some as far as just filling in the gaps while uh, Kemba's out. Yeah, and I mean, even when Kemba returns, I mean, I, I wonder how much his role will even really change because, I mean, who we kind of expected, I guess, Jeff Teague kind of to be playing the role that Pritchard's playing right now kind of handling the ball in the second unit and Pritchard's just been so poised and really really good and he's just like a hooper like great handle great pace when he plays and he's kind of taken that role on Teague and Teague's been like a little disappointing in that regard on the offense while he's kind of showing like some defensive upside I guess but um so when Kemba comes back like I guess that'll be the biggest question is do you even move Marcus Smart to the sec back to the second unit or keep, like keep him there as a starter because Pritchard really is doing a really good job? Yeah, I would say. Sorry, you I would him. say that I would say that Pritchard's minutes shouldn't change, but I think it has more to do with Kemba, like just knowing what the ultimate goal is in mind. Even when he comes back, and obviously he shouldn't come back till he's hundred percent, but even at hundred percent. I still think you want to take it pretty slow with him, knowing that, you know, no matter who you're going up against in the playoffs in the East, it's probably going to be a war. So, and Pritchard's already proved that he can handle himself in the minutes he has now. So, yeah, I just think it would be a foolish move to, you know, let him just ride on the bench when Walker comes back. Yeah. And I think, again, it's going to come down, it's going to come down to defense because, you know, and I think the Celtics, We'll try and find ways to have Kemba Walker and Marcus Smart on the court together. Uh, and so as far as who comes in behind them, uh, again, it, it'll come down to defense. And I said at the beginning of the season, you know, the thing that worries me most about Jeff Teague is, you know, he's older, he's 33. He's obviously lost a step. And can he keep up with some of the better, uh, some of the quicker point guards in the NBA? Uh, I had my questions. I don't know if Peyton Pritchard necessarily can, but I'm impressed early on in the season. Uh, I think he really digs on the defensive end. He gives max effort. And beyond that, I think he's actually effective and he's six two. So it's not like he's Carson Edwards out there. I mean, he's, he is, you know, he's got a little bit of height in that regard, not a ton, but you know, more than Tremont waters and Carson Edwards. Um, and I just think his commitment on the defensive end has won over Brad Stevens. And if Brad Stevens, as much as he loves Jeff Teague, thinks Peyton Pritchard uh, gives him a better option defensively. I think Pritchard will maintain a pretty significant role uh, whenever Kemba Walker comes back. Um, and even if, you know, even factoring in working in Jeff Teague, I think at this point, Peyton Pritchard has made you uh, find a way to get him onto the floor, in my opinion. And also, he's just been apparently like another new Celtics rookie that's just a gold mine for nicknames. Um, 
yeah. Adam, yeah. what are your some of your favorite ones you've heard so far? Let's just go through and rank them. So I really, I really liked Fast PP just because just the idea of him having that as his Twitter handle as like a non fourteen year old was pretty funny. <laughs> he had that until he was like twenty two, got drafted, saw everyone making fun of him, and then he changed it. Um, I think Perk Kendrick Perkins originated uh, P Rabbit off the heels of A Mile from Tatum, which I think those are both solid. I'm not a big fan of Dean Pritchard just because like it's not really just it's not like a nickname you're just like talking about a movie character you know Stupid. even though it was a great even though it was a great movie character it's just like that was like the character's name it's not like something different um, so yeah I think uh, Fast PP number one for me Dean Pritchard last uh, for me uh, I think it's P Rabbit it has to be P Rabbit at this point uh, the Eight Mile thing is funny uh to a certain point um but i think you know you're just sort of just naming a movie at that point i think the uh p rabbit is way funnier because it it plays into his name uh obviously p for pam pritchard and the pulpy rabbit thing uh sort of a double reference there so i and i don't know i think it rolls off the tongue better than than eight mile so i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm pro p rabbit okay dakota i have to call you out for the, the eight mile one's personally my favorite just because just in the moment scrolling through my own Instagram like feed and stories and seeing that Tatum called him eight mile just cracked me up yeah but like aren't you the one that straight up wrote like your entire lead on an article on Nesson.com or Eminem lyrics it wasn't even the lead it was the, it was the entire story it was half of the story uh, he, he basically and to his credit he found a way to get every lyric pretty much and lose yourself into a nesson.com story which is, i mean it's impressive yeah i i personally am most proud that i found a way to work in salem's lot yeah. i wasn't i wasn't sure i was going to be able to pull that one off but we got a salem's lot reference in there so you know it was a win <laughs> all right love to see it uh i mean it he seems to just be like a con an nba twitter like joke generating machine so far so i mean maybe uh, maybe you want to call me d rabbit right i've heard <laughs> that, but maybe others will <laughs> we're not gonna do that we'll leave the rest up to the audience um so all right we'll be back next week for you guys the celtics are taking on miami tonight and we'll go from there but i uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in as always be sure to subscribe if you like what you listen to give us a five-star rating Maybe leave a review. That'd be super cool. Tell your friends. And we'll see you guys next week.